Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Congratulations, everyone. Let's make a round of applause for fan favorite. Your fan favorite. Hi, I'm Nadira Golf. And I'm Daisy Rosario, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. Happy New Year! Woo. If you're thinking, this isn't Rachel's voice, you'd be correct. <laughs> Though Rachel is irreplaceable, I, Nadira, have volunteered as tribute very humbly to fill her shoes so she can take a much needed break, which I hope she's filling with good food, good company, and plenty of downtime on Tumblr. But we all know I can't do this alone. So joining me today is the illustrious Daisy. Hi, Daisy. Hey, Nadira. We've chatted so many times, but never on mic before. I know. And now that we're here, I'm so tempted to just dump all of our plans and make an episode strictly about Broadway. Ooh, maybe we should. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Ah, we should, but unfortunately, today is not that day. Today, we're looking back on 2022 and taking stock of the absolute unhinged behavior that took place (laughs) online. And there was a lot. There was so much. Wild. But we all know that there's nothing more online and unhinged than fans shipping their favorite fictional couples. Yes. And on that note, Tumblr released a list of the top ships of 2022. And I want to see if you can figure out what some of them are by giving you the, the name, the combo, the ship name. Okay. Um, In full disclosure, I saw the first two items on this list and screamed in agony and closed that tab with the quickness. So I'm terrified. I'm scared. I know I'm going to do horribly. And I'm also really, truly just astonished by people's poor taste. But I'm also not a punk. So let's go. Okay. Here's one. Ronance. 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 Okay. Is this Stranger Things? Yes, it is. Okay, so one of them has to be Nancy. Yes. Who is the row? Okay, the problem is what I'm realizing in this moment is <laughs> I cannot remember many of the characters of Stranger Things names. I feel like that's fair. And part of the problem with some of the ships is because I, in general, will sometimes think of a actor name. And yes, like I keep name. thinking Maya Hawk, but I don't remember what her. Ding, ding, ding. It's Robin. Yeah, she's Robin. Robin. Okay. Ronance. There you go. Okay. I feel as though what I want is for Maya Hawk, also Robin, to be happy. And I feel as though that would not be with Nancy. <laughs> That's a good point. I agree. I agree and with that. So one. I want to yell at everyone who thinks it, it would be. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is one of my favorites on this list because I think it's strange in a different way. Okay, so um, it's Buddy, but I'm going to spell it for you because obviously that doesn't tell you very much. So Buddy, B-U-D-D-I-E. This has to be a ship between uh, Buddy the Elf and the viewer (laughs) of the movie Elf. (laughs) 
must be. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I feel like you're still coming down from the holidays, so that made you think of <laughs> that. Look, I don't, I don't know that this one's going to make sense to anybody. Uh, I mean, it must because it was on their top list. But it's Evan Buckley and Edmundo Diaz from the show Nine One One. Why do they have such poor taste? Also, Buckley needs to not be shipped with anyone. He is a mess. Buck is a mess. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't know. That's for a different that's for a different episode. I okay. was more confused about who's the age group of people shipping them. I should be confused. Yeah, why are they on You know Tumblr? what I mean? Like I think about it and I'm like, I watched ER as a kid, but even if there was Tumblr, I don't think I would have had anything about like shipping the two doctors I like the most. Like it's confusing to me. You're right. Because this is a Tumblr list and now I'm so what? What 17-year-olds are out here watching? I've got so many questions. I'll double check with my sister, but I don't think she'll have watched that show. Oh, man. Okay. I'm thoroughly distressed. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for ships. But we are not sailing away from 2022 yet. Because on today's show, we're talking about 2022 in fandom. And after a short break, Daisy and I will be back to talk about the Swifties, Senator-elect John Fetterman, and some of the most surprising and impressive moments of online fandom from the past year. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back, and there are no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. And we're back. Daisy, because yes. I know you, mm-hmm. I know you must be in some fandoms. Oh, yeah. So what are some <laughs> fandoms that you're personally a part of? Sometimes I forget that I'm part of fandoms because I also am of an age where, like, when I was growing up, you didn't really have names for them except for Trekkies. Right. And, like, the fact mm. that they had a name was a sign of their low status in the world. <laughs> like, like, the way that the nerds have won is genuinely like just so different um but I mean I definitely was a huge potter head mm, again a little mm-hmm. old for it but I had you know one of my first jobs was teaching kids reading so I got really passionate about being able to talk to little kids about those books so it got me really invested um I'm a Marvel fan I'm actually more Same. of a DC reader but I am a Marvel Ooh. fan of the movies and I've talked a lot about how much I love Captain America specifically when it comes to Marvel, I would say that I prefer Marvel's heroes, but DC's villains. And so I think that that's where I sort of draw the line. But for me, in terms of fandoms that I'm a part of, there are plenty. I'm a yeah. diehard Jonas Brothers stan. Still. Which, still. Always. Until yes. I die. <laughs> which had the horrible name of Jonatics that no one ever used. It was oh, that is a bad name. It's so bad. Um, and that's then I'm in all name. the like 
big ones too. I'm a Potterhead. I'm in the Beehive, Rihanna's yep. Navy, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Whatever the name is for fans of Dev Patel and Dylan O'Brien, I'm in that. Fair, I'm definitely very in that. Fair. Yep. Um, I'm also a Druid, which is <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> it's the underrated fandom for CW's Nancy Drew, which right. I think is also just expanded into the Nancy Drew cinematic universe and just general literature universe. Yeah, Drood, I'm seeing but, that like start to take over more space in the yes. in the various places that I enjoy my fandom. But my my Druids know where it's at. I love it there. I think that's kind of what we're here to talk about today, which are fandoms that have made really, really big waves last year. I feel like fandoms are mostly underappreciated when we talk about society and when we take stock of how society has changed and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. But they make actual change. Last year alone, fandoms aided in winning elections, getting big corporations investigated, creating an entire fake film. They've gained so many longstanding systems and institutions like the Oscars and YouTube. Yes, the Oscars reference was a Zack Snyder reference when all of his fans got the flash to win the Oscars fan favorite moment because I'm still distraught. I'm still annoyed. I just... (laughs) Never mind that. Never mind. Never mind. If I'm talking about my most influential fandoms of the past year, in my top three, I think, are the Swifties. So we have to talk about Taylor Swift. Okay, do we, though? We we do. We we (laughs) must. So if you were living under a rock last year, or if you have Taylor Swift blacklisted on your social media because you value your mental health, you might have missed all of the drama in the past November when fans were attempting to buy tickets to Swift's Eras Tour. Are you a Swifty Daisy? The thing that makes me feel least connected to humanity in general, like in the last few years, is the popularity of both Taylor and Drake. Like, uh, I understood the election of 2016 more than I understand either of those. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Okay. I feel like that's said a lot, truly. <laughs> <laughs> and as someone who tends to be a Drake apologist, I'm just going to remove myself from this narrative. <laughs> In terms of Taylor Swift, I used to be a Swifty in my youth, and I still love all of Taylor's older stuff and some of her newer stuff, but I became too frustrated by the like confusing-ish politics of the person to really engage with anything beyond her music. The girl can write a bop, though. You know, oh, I'll yeah. give her that. I'll give her that much. Right. My, um, my, to be clear, just want to say my, my thing is not that I don't think she's talented. Like, oh, that that never had that had that never has anything to do with it when I'm talking about Taylor Swift. And I talk about her right. way more than I feel like I should. And I'm going to continue <laughs> right now. So as most of you probably know, Ticketmaster, which actually merged with Live Nation in 2010, has monopoly control over the live event ticketing market. And because of their absolute power in the area, they've been able to instate some pretty sleazy practices like dynamic pricing, which uses algorithms to increase the prices of tickets when there's high demand. They've also neglected to crack down on people taking a advantage of their systems by buying tickets just to resell them for tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I mean, Ticketmaster slash Live Nation or whatever has been making me furious for years, but these last couple of years have been next level. I mean, even smaller concerts I was looking into had outrageous services. And then a few weeks ago, I had a total presale fail with Maggie Rogers here in DC, which was like making me extra upset because she's from the area. Uh, but yeah, like when I saw everything happening with the Taylor Swift presale, I was like, burn it down, Swifties. You can do it. Yeah. For the past few months on Ticketmaster, I struggled with Harry Styles tickets, Paramore, SZA, the 1975. They were all stressful. They were wow. all a mess. So the Swifties came together to buy tickets for what seemed to be Swift's most anticipated tour in years. I don't know that I've heard of this many people talking about buying tickets to go see Taylor Swift. 
But they faced so much trouble with glitches on the website not allowing them to secure tickets, their pre-sale codes not working, allegations of dynamic pricing being used, and so many people buying tickets during the pre-sale that Ticketmaster ended up canceling the general sale because it had oversold in the pre-sales. It was a hot mess. That's bananas. It was, I truly have never seen anything like it, and I felt so bad. Swifties were bullied into buying low-quality tickets for high-quality prices and were, on the whole, taken advantage of so hard. And they caused so much uproar on social media, and it became such a huge story, that they actually convinced the Justice Department, like the United States Justice Department, to investigate (laughs) Ticketmaster on antitrust grounds. Well, let's just hope that their justice is a swift. Daisy, Daisy, Daisy. Our producer Daniel obviously came up with that pun. I do not I do not ever come up with puns. I respect his pun game, but man, I don't have one. But yeah, let's solve this problem, Swifties. Yeah, I mean, as a Beyonce stan, as a member of the Beehive, they better fix this mess before it's time to buy tickets for the Renaissance tour because there will be literal violence in the streets all across the globe <laughs> if true. they don't. I mean, I I can I can promise you, I'm not promising you, but I'm promising you. Anyway, enough about me and the my potential renegading in the streets. What is an entry on your top 2022 fandoms list, Daisy? I you know I think for me because like in the in 2022 I also started revisiting Tumblr, which obviously we've talked about a lot on this show, mostly mm-hmm. because I started working on this show and it made me really <laughs> need to like check back in on Tumblr. But just like being reminded of the power of people to love different shows like really passionately. Like I'm not somebody like I don't watch She-Ra, um, the Netflix cartoon, but like I, I watched the original mm. growing up, but like seeing the way that fandom was like interacting with each other online. And it's like a, you know, it's a queer version of this character and there's just a lot of really fun stuff there. Like seeing those fandoms again, like just really reminded me of how much, I love it when a fandom is like a place to genuinely celebrate something. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way about Warrior Nun. Not that I've seen it, right. but that I was really, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. really interested to find out how many fi- people watch Warrior Nun. Like apparently, right. tons of people do, and apparently they're really into it. And anyway, that's maybe that's another thing to watch and report back on. Listen, I've got, I'm making so much work for myself. <laughs> But another fandom that actually really surprised me was a political one, one I'd like to call Fettermania. And by that, I'm referring to the Pennsylvania Senate race between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz, a sentence I still can't believe isn't a lie. Wild. I don't. It it upsets me. (laughs) As someone who was born and bred in PA, Philly stand up. I was following this race very closely, but I didn't actually need to follow it that closely because it blew up on social media. And I do mean blew up. It's one of the first races that I can remember that actually used Twitter and TikTok to globally stage political slander, garner support, and in general, troll and do my favorite thing, be messy. Right. (laughs) Do you remember when Fetterman's social media PR team, which must just be like two really smart 20-year-olds somewhere sitting in a room, got the Snooki from Jersey Shore to make a video that ousted Oz for living in Jersey and not PA? Hey! This is Nicole Snooky. 
Um, and I'm from Jersey Shore. I don't know if you've seen of it before. Um, but I'm a hot mess on a reality show, basically, and I enjoy life. Um, but I heard that you moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania to look for a new job. And personally, I don't know why anyone would want... I love so many things about that video, but, like, one thing that the producer and me cannot deny is also just, like, the bargain of that video, like the financial smarts oh, yes. of how little it actually cost to make that huge splash online. Well, according to Politico slash MSNBC journalist Sam Stein, the Fetterman campaign paid Snooki about $393.75 for her cameo. That is that is a drop in a bucket. And that is it, wild. It worked out so well for them. Yeah, like, didn't they also end up getting Stevie Van Zant, you know, from Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, also The Sopranos? I mean, like, didn't they get Stevie Van Zant to do one? Like, yes, they did. Yo, Dr. Oz, Stevie VZ here. What are you doing in Pennsylvania? Everybody knows you live in New Jersey and you're just using your in-laws address over there. And you do not want to mess around with John Fetterman, trust me. I just... I never thought that Jersey celebrities would take such a formal world stage, but they did. And they really, truly, they helped. They right. helped. <laughs> if anyone was surprised, it was this Philly native and this New York native right here. <laughs> just on both sides of Jersey going, wow, okay. Overall, just a lot of the campaign actually played out online. There's a really interesting MIT Election Lab article that statistically huh. breaks down the effects of social media, mostly Twitter, in the campaign. And the conclusion of the article points to the power of social media attention, claiming, quote, The Fetterman-Oz Twitter war has highlighted a relatively new front on the campaign trail. Memes are in some ways the new TV campaign ads where slandering one's opponent is couched in being cheeky, clever, and with the aim of going viral. Whenever the candidates highlight their opponent's perceived shortcomings, whether that be questioning his health or his attempt to make a metaphor out of crudite, the public <laughs> conversation refocuses sharply towards these topics, demonstrating the effect these posts and tweets have on what becomes salient to the campaign and to the media coverage of the race. Right. I mean, the social media presence in the Fetterman-Oz campaign is definitely a marker for the future of political campaigning. I mean, how could it, you know, not be like, you know, they're right. they're speaking the language of now, if you will. But but to bring it back to fandoms, like, so how did this play out for you as someone from Philly? I mean, what it really showed me is that the notion that social media's reach is relegated to younger generations is simply just not true. Even my grandma was like, what's happening to me to ask me if I had seen the crudite video and to explain who Snooki is? <laughs> These political debates often went viral. And though they didn't show much actual response on social media, they were very effective outside of it. There was so much discourse and mobilizing happening in person that was inspired by those videos. And it was the fans of each political candidate openly discussing those videos at home that really got the campaign to sort of light a fire and become national news. And it was also those videos that essentially clinched the win for Fetterman. Fans aren't just Gen Zers on Tumblr, Twitter, or TikTok. Even if they're not online, they're still mobilizing. And they're also just, like I said before, not relegated to one age group. Yeah. It's the age groups with the fandoms that I find myself just so fascinated by recently. Because I feel like not just the spending more time on Tumblr part, but in general, just kind of seeing people get really into talking about the thing that they're so excited by. Like, when, like I, you know, like a lot of people, I love the show Succession. And it's yes. funny to me, in a way, to like think of how much I do 
like I know like there are the people who like talk about it and obviously like lots of people write about it and whatever, but there still feels like a separation between to me between that and when I talk to certain people about the way that they are into certain characters, like you know, for shipping sure. like Tom and Greg or something. You know what I, I mean? I was just about like, to say for <laughs> sure. I think what people don't talk about enough are HBO fans and like between euphoria succession and white lotus i feel like the memes were just rolling on twitter all day it's one of the examples i give of shows where the discussion about the show is sometimes more interesting than the show itself cough euphoria cough so i you know (laughs) that's a really that's a really really great one to bring up i think my biggest honorable mention for fandoms of 2022 goes to the fans of Harry Styles and Florence Pugh and the general fans of <laughs> Don't Worry Darling. Oh, man. We, it truly breaks my heart to say, don't have time to get into Spitgate any more than we already have. But if you want a quick rehashing of the Don't Worry Darling drama, you can check out the ICYMI episode on Harry Styles or the piece I most recently wrote for Slate titled Justice for Don't Worry Darling, the hottest mess of the year. That's a great take because it is a fantastic movie to watch if you are watching it knowing that you want to watch a hot mess. Exactly. It's so much fun. I mean, just bring a whole bunch of your friends and laugh at it. You will not have more fun in a theater or home theater, whatever, this year. Yes. I promise you this year as in 2023 because you should still watch this movie because that's that we love ourselves. Oh, it's hilarious. And also very pretty to look at because Palm Springs is gorgeous. Like you can be like, wow, I love looking at this. And also, (laughs) what? Exactly. That was, wow, that was really me. Were you there? Were you next to me when I was watching this movie? Well, it's it's not you. It's just mind melt. It's mind melt, Nadira. Well, anyway, now it's time for a quick break. But when we come back, we'll be discussing the complicated parts of communities online and when fandoms and the perception of fandoms can get a little bit tricky. That's after the break. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Do you know about these stories? In 1933, Huey Long invented a holiday to prevent a bank from collapsing. In 1960, years before he was assassinated, someone tried to kill JFK with a car bomb. And in 2014, remember this, there was a whole news cycle about President Obama's tan suit. On the podcast This Day in Esoteric Political History, we talk about the forgotten stories that may teach us a lot about the very strange moment we're living in right now. Check it out. This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. 
Hello, ICY My listeners. If you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. It means no ads on any Slate podcast. It also means that you'll be supporting our podcast. The show would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus members. They keep this show and other Slate shows going. With Slate Plus, you also get bonus segments and episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Hit Parade, and The Waves. And you get unlimited reading on the Slate website, access to every article and advice column on Slate. You will never have to hit that paywall that tells you you have read all the prudy that you can read. Just visit slate.com forward slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That's slate.com forward slash ICYMI plus. Now that we have run through some impressive fandom moments, I want to talk more complex fandom relations. And by that, I mean, I want to talk about the fandom of RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) Yes. Start your engines and say more, Daisy. Well, I'm just a huge fan of the show, and I have been since season one. And I think anybody who is either part of the fandom or knows of the fandom has probably heard quite a bit of how toxic that particular fandom can be. I mean, it's it's to the point where so many of the queens who have appeared on this show, and there's so many versions of the show now, but like so many of them have had to speak out about it or call it out themselves, right? And I, mm. But then at the same time, it is this fandom that is around this thing that is queer and important to me in so many ways. And like, you know, the representation that we've seen on that show over the last many years is not something that you saw on that scale before, you know? And so it just, in some ways it's so, so, so special to me. And it is still this group that is largely maligned in the world. And then the fandom itself is like, we both want to celebrate it. And when I go to like live shows, it's really fun. But man, when you get online, particularly in places like Twitter or things like that, or even Reddit, like it can be so abusive towards fans doing it to each other, but also like specifically to the queens. Like so many have like had to leave social media. And so it just feels so weird because part of what I, you know, like I said, part of what I love about fandoms is that you're, you're people coming together to celebrate something that you love. And I love drag and I love drag in a bigger way than just what RuPaul's Drag Race is, because that is only one kind of faction, if you will. It's only one part of that world. But, you know, at the same time, it's like helping kind of elevate some people, get certain things out there. And then it's also helping kind of redefine what some people think drag means because of that show. And so it's just always very tricky when you really can feel the push and pull of the thing you love in real time all the time with that fandom. Do you think that the toxic parts of the Drag Race fandom are because they specifically want a specific queen to win? Or is it just because they're generally just being like trolls? There's some of all of it, honestly, right? Mm -hmm. Like some of it is for the queens that if you're like on a current season or maybe you're on a season that's wrapping up, right? And this is a show, if you're not as familiar with RuPaul's Drag Race, I will say like this is a show that's about to start its 15th season, right? So yeah. You have some of the very early queens who kind of weren't even that much on the radar before the show got really popular. Then you have like a huge influx of fans coming in, getting very like, yeah, it's a reality competition show. So people are, you know, cheering for their person and they want to like let people know who they like. And the show is constantly like hashtag drag race. Let us know who you like. Right. So they're really engaging that. Um, But then it also is, I think, this weird mix of the fact that like these people are performers. They're literally like being drag queens. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the character that they play as a drag queen is very different 
than the person that they are. And the show really right. shows you both because it shows them out of drag and it shows them in drag. And so that also creates, I think, a lot of like confusion and tension because people will sometimes just get so hardcore, like as if they are fictitious characters in a way, but you're like, mm. no, this is like a real person who also is playing dress up as like this weird character. And so there's just these layers to it that start to feel really odd. But then you literally have like, well, who's gonna win and who's gonna win this money? So something like when you bring that combination of those things together, you just got all these other parts kind of spinning out of it that can get really, really nasty. Yeah, that parasocial thing. I know we talk about it a yeah. lot on the show, but that parasocial thing can be super tricky. And I think fandoms in 2022 were just super tricky as well. Like sometimes yeah. it worked out really well, like the Swifties and Ticketmaster and fighting for a good cause. And sometimes it doesn't so much. So off right. mic, you and I were briefly talking about how fandoms can be taken advantage of when already problematic people are given huge platforms to spew their problematic ideas. Mm -hmm. And then the people who aren't actually fans of that person glom onto the fandom just because they too believe in that problematic idea. Right. And to me, the biggest example of that from 2022 was the whole Elon Kanye Twitter debacle. Yeah, just all of that. Honestly, all four of those words is just it's just all of that. Elon, Kanye, Twitter, and debacle. I mean, because it's like, I, I know the Kanye part. <sighs> and we can briefly get into that. But like, explain the Elon part. Right. Well, as is customary <laughs> in ICYMI, we like to blame Apartheid Clyde whenever we see fit. Sure. And the shoe definitely fits this time. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of Musk's decision to take over Twitter, which went through on October 27th, was influenced by all of his bro fans being like, whoa, bro, that'd be sick, man. You should totally do that, dude. I love cards and edgelords and, and saving the environment, but not really because I'm a bro. And if he wasn't as supported on his flights of fucking fancy as he was, he may not have been so egged on to take over Twitter. Now, yeah. I can't prove he wouldn't have taken over Twitter if there was radio silence, but I feel like the support of his fans definitely coddled him in that decision-making, which was obviously a bad one, because then he released that freaking Twitter poll asking whether he should step down as Twitter oh CEO. And after over 17.5 million accounts voted, the yes is won as 57.5%. And I mean, honestly, that margin was not even big enough, in my opinion. Like, Twitter had been a shit show since he came into power. But I deeply enjoyed that time when everyone was making parody verified accounts. That was really fun. I started making one, but I just missed the window on it. No, <laughs> I really would have loved to see yours. My favorite was the fake Chiquita Bananas account <laughs> saying we've just overthrown the government of Brazil. And oh uh, whatever God. Agent of Truth created the AIPAC account to say we heart apartheid, you know, a little bit more of a serious note. But that was some hardcore truth that I liked seeing. Ooh, I mean, absolute mayhem, like chaotic, good mayhem, but absolute mayhem. Yes. Yeah. Right. So like Elon then lets all of your least favorite male conservatives who used to be in entertainment that were banned from the platform for their harmful tweets back onto Twitter, like Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson, and of course, Kanye West, who now goes by yay. Yay's general history. This is me sighing because I used to really love him. Like, that's where this, this pain comes you from. You and me both, you right? know? Uh, Yay's general history with spewing opinions and hate speech that range from controversial to downright dangerous while also dealing with his mental health and bipolar diagnosis is way too long to get into for one episode of a podcast. But shit really hit the fan when Ye was reinstated on Twitter by Musk around November 3rd. Once Musk's Twitter 
acquisition went through and he became even more vocally anti-Semitic and verbally violent and threatening, going so far as to go on Alex Jones's show and claim that he, quote, loves Nazis and, quote, likes Hitler. These are direct quotes to which Alex Jones, the Alex Jones, had to disagree with him and give him outs that he did not take. Sigh. Do you know how hard you have to screw up to get Alex Jones to disagree with you? This is the same Alex Jones that filed for bankruptcy after being court-ordered to pay families of the Sandy Hook victims around a billion dollars, I believe it was, in damages for defamation. Anyway, I all mean. of this... I, I mean, we're going to have to do it anyway, because... <laughs> anyway, all of this ends up in Ye being banned again by Musk on December 2nd for his truly egregious Twitter posts. People who were actual anti-Semites and not really yay fans like jumped on this yay fandom bandwagon to basically further push their nasty agendas. And I mean, from the outside, people perceived the entire thing as like yay's fandom gone wild. And that was what felt really, really weird about all of it. Because the truth yeah. is that those people were not here for the glow in the dark tour. Like they were only there out of the opportunity to harass people, not because right. they were actual fans. Yeah. And that's a really sad but useful example of when fandoms can be co-opted by people who actually have other agendas, which is really stressful and disappointing for true fans because they can be lumped into this entire category they don't actually want to be in. And their yeah. identities as complex fans and people, especially of problematic figures, become overly simplified as blind followers worthy of like nothing but contempt. There are some of those for sure. But a lot of people were and are actually complex fans that were grappling with their longstanding history of loving Ye's music, but disliking Ye's values and presence and his actions. And in my opinion, they should have grappled with it a long time ago because this is like offense number 1500. Exactly. But I do get it. Yeah. To me, it seems so similar to what, if you were paying attention, you probably saw happening with Tory Lanez amidst the whole Megan the Stallion court case, right? Like where his fans got lumped in with like all these general misogynists who couldn't name a single song of his. Like all these people were showing up defending Tory Lanez on Twitter, but it's like, where, where were you? Like, do you actually know anything about this man? That's true. But Daisy, can you name a single song of his? No, no. Same. I do want to take this time to highlight, though, that sometimes the fandom itself is just problematic. Case yes. in point, and I generally love y'all because I love mess, and you gave us Lil Nas X, but the barbs, the Oof. barbs were on one last year. They are quite literally getting sued. So Kimberly Nicole Foster, YouTuber oh, yeah. and founder of the site for Harriet, yes, we love her, we, we stand is planning on suing some of Nicki Minaj's fans, dubbed the Barbs, for those who didn't know, for their ongoing harassment after she publicly critiqued the rapper. And there was a lot of suspect stuff going on with that, too. Like, Nicki actually liking some of the harassing responses to Foster's tweets. I mean, basically condoning some of the mistreatment. Yeah, the Barbs have a super long history of being both phenomenally supportive and positive, as well as downright harmful, like many fandoms do, honestly. Sure. And Nicki Minaj also has a long history of condoning their behavior, whether positive or negative. But we can't simply wrap up that history in a few minutes. So basically what we're saying is we love fandoms, but they yeah. can be incredibly powerful. And that power isn't always used for good. And there's a lot of internal politics, too, like when new people join a fandom and how they can clash with the original members of that fandom. Or when people use pretty bizarre metrics to differentiate who is a 
true fan in the fandom and who's just there for fun or to bandwagon on, you know, like directioners versus directionators. Yeah, we needed not split directioners into two factions. And also our producer Daniel is telling us that there are Trekkies versus Trekkers. And I'm overwhelmed. Everyone just needs to be happy and work together. And sometimes they do. So one group that we haven't mentioned because they're just assumed to be in conversation whenever we're talking about fandoms is, of course, K-pop stands. Oh, yeah. They did not take a break last year. No. Like, even though we're talking about Swifties, even though we're talking about all these other groups, the K-pop stands were still on one. There's a really great Vulture article by Taylor Banky called The Blackpink Fans Looking to Outfox YouTube that details the huh. ways in which Blackpink fans, known as Blinks, which can I just say, the Blinks and Rihanna's Navy, I think, are the best named fandoms. And we should have That's a whole amazing. separate list evaluating those because those two, the names are so great. Those are great. I do like those. Yeah. So the article is about how those Blinks have gamed YouTube system to maximize streams. A brief quote from the piece states, It's not exactly scientific, but they figured out what drives views more than many of the platform's content creators. Eventually, Blinks compiled enough information to distribute streaming rules that are part YouTube policy, part folk knowledge, part fan superstition. W, that's the administrator of the fan account Blackpink Blink Union, sent me a list of over 60 directives they share with their followers. Do type the song name in YouTube search bar to encourage higher search placement and space out streams by watching other videos in between. Don't loop the video, change the playback speed, or comment too frequently. End quote. I mean, the strategy, the planning, the fact that you get a pamphlet when you sign up to be a blink. I truly, that is working together. That is standing together to accomplish a common goal. My goodness, we really should have handed over the pandemic response to the K-pop stands. (laughs) They would have been like, so much more effective. This is so much more useful than a lot of information I got. I feel like I just learned things about how YouTube works just hearing those instructions. And there are just so many ways in which fandoms really made actual change in 2022. One of my favorite ICYMI episodes of the past year was when you and Rachel broke down Goncharov. I Greatest mean, movie of all time. They made a whole fake movie. I was also obsessed, and I know we've talked about this on Slack, but I was obsessed with the Venn diagram overlap of Gleeks and Broadway fans that came to life when the whole Leah Michelle, Beanie Feldstein, funny girl drama was unfolding around September. I'm just always thinking about that, actually. (laughs) I just can't believe that, like, the television show Glee, of which I am a Gleek, came to life in such strong... A literal way. Uh, That was red card daisy. That was too much. It's just (laughs) foul play. Foul play. There was also the RRR stands boosting the film's Oscar campaign. There were the ways that fandom played into the success and then death of crypto, which is something I don't understand at all. And quite literally everything that happened during the World Cup. Good God. 2022 was long. Okay, but it wasn't long enough because Beyonce still hasn't dropped her visuals for Renaissance. And I swear to God, if she makes us wait any longer, I'm suing because I'm distraught. I'm broken. I'm undone. And the hive is waiting. I'm with you on this one. Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating and a review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, what the hell is crudite? 
And you can always drop us a note at icymi at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. Hi. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or in the parking lot of a Taylor Swift concert because we didn't get the tickets to go inside. And these political debates often went viral, even though they didn't show much actual response on social media. Social, social media. Social, social. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.